Hello friends, ah, sound like Joe Rogan then. Hello guys on YouTube and on the podcast, viewers, listeners, everybody who's still tuning in. Today we have a corker for you. We have Deb back on and today we're talking all things anxiety and panic attacks. All that intro. I think it wasn't recording then, sorry. I'm good. I've lost my head though, Deb. We were on about like dying our hair and stuff, weren't we? And this happened. Ah, uh, okay. Buy <laughs> yourself a toner to make it more white. Yeah, I'm having, I've got about five conversations open on Instagram at the moment of people saying, do this, do that, buy one of these, buy this shampoo. Some, some people say bleach it again. Some people say don't bleach it again. So I want, I've got silver to go on. You run a risk of really damaging it. So if you start with a toner, which are quite natural. So I've got a toner in my hair at the moment, believe it or not, it's purple. So you just use purple shampoo and purple conditioner and it will eventually whiten it. Because I've got silver to go in. Yeah. So people are saying- It won't got... take while it's yellow. Yes, it's got to be like this bit, right? Correct. You're talking That's to someone my gray. who's tied My grey has taken very gray. nicely. <laughs> Do you know, it's funny, isn't it? It's such a natural reaction. Loads of people do that when they're in lockdown or in certain situations like this or can't get out. We look for something we can control. So we go, oh, I'm going to die. I cut my hair. I wanted it silver. I was, about, I was talking to my barber about having just the top silver before we went on lockdown. And my partner talked me out of it. And then we went on lockdown. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to do it. Because if it all goes wrong, I just shave it off, right? Like, because I, I mean, so in the, okay, if you feel that way and you feel okay about that, you could bleach it again. If you genuinely feel that way, you need to bleach it again, but you must add a toner in at the end. So when you bleach it again, get yourself a toner, proper toner. Um, bleach of London do really good toners. Loads of people do. And then tone it, and that will take it down to a white rather than a yellow tone. And then you can put your grey on. Perfect. Look at that, guys. All the viewers and the listeners are getting... Free hair advice now as well. So if anyone else is looking at bleaching your hair. About the quality or state of your hair and you're happy to shave it off, you can risk bleaching it again. You're talking to someone who left bleach on way too long quite a few years ago and went out in the garden and forgot about it. Yeah, came back spaghetti hair, so it was like absolutely damaged beyond. And I've bleached people's hair and been dying hair for years. Like, and it was like, oh, you idiot. I just went out in the sun, I didn't think about it. But then having chemo, I was bald anyway. And it's the, it's the reason I keep scraping my hair back now. I can't bear the way it looks. It's horrible. I feel like an 80-year-old grandma. There's nothing wrong with being an 80-year-old grandma. But at 54, I don't want to act like or be like one. So it's like, no, I hate it. Is that just from having it because you had no hair for such a long time? Or you got used to that? or No, it's, um, it's the growing in between. So my hair is naturally very curly. So, oh, okay. Um, if I spike it up and stuff, it looks quite cool. But if I leave it curly, it's just that bit too short and not quite long enough yet. So it's that stage of, it's going to be another five or six months of going, oh, I can't bear it the way it is. And then I'd quite like to go back to some kind of pinks or something and greys. I love my pink hair. It's been my trademark for 15 years, I think, I've had pink hair. I had a pink Mohican once when I was at school. Did you? Straight down the middle. <laughs> I don't know why. I mean, People say, I remember once a psychology professor said to me, you know, the more glitter and colour, the more damage. And I was like, oh, crap, that's me then. And I went, remember going for an interview about 10, oh, was it 10 years ago? Uh, at a hospice. And the woman said to me, all you women who are into this sort of therapy stuff, do you tend to dye your hair, don't you? And I said, no, I've been dyeing my hair for the last five or six years. Honestly, it's been like forever. And I first started dyeing it when I was 18. I remember having an ashy, purpley colour. So, no. Maybe we, we just want to say, we want people to notice us. We want to be loud and we want people to notice us, maybe. <laughs> Interesting. Well, I'm an introvert. So, although I'll talk to everyone and I'll do things like this, I've been running workshops since this whole lockdown has started for different groups of people in different ways. And I can have 60 to hundred people in each workshop wow. and I can talk and I can do workshops with, I do a regular monthly workshop anyway, which has about a hundred people face to face. Um, I do a lot of things. I can do that. I can get up and stand up and do that. But if you ask me to a party or ask me out, I'll be like, yeah, I'm coming. And I'm, you'll find me at home with a book. I'm a learned oh. extrovert. Oh, okay. 
Um, so actually I get my energy from, from being alone by myself at home, steady, not all this glamorous stuff. It's why you don't also see me with anything that I do post online about it a lot or say big things. I'll put out information, but I won't put out yay any of that, that I, I just, I can't do it. It's not for me. So you were saying when we opened, you were saying about that people, when they when they, they, they grab for control, um, by like dyeing their hair or shaving their hair or doing something crazy with maybe probably not is it always their hair or can it be no no it can be anything um if we weren't in lockdown in a way people might be looking for tattoos or piercings if they're alternative or they might be looking at changing their lives or doing something really different or we one of the pieces of advice any psychologist will give you is look draw a circle I, I did a whole post yesterday on my I've got a grey matter psychotherapy page which is more psychology based rather than um your mind matters which is cheer and psychology based and I didn't post this one I should put it over there actually um this one was about how to handle angry kids I'm getting an awful lot of questions about what do I do my child's really angry they're really cross and they're really whatever and I've given them a load of techniques and advice and a load of places they can go to. And often, funnily enough, because what we're talking about today is anxiety, I talk about the anger iceberg, which is a, a classic technique that anger's on the top, but that's the only bit that shows the, the majority of the iceberg is under the water. You've got to look at what's underneath that. Anger feels like a form of power. When we get cross, we feel empowered. Actually, what's probably underneath that is shame, humiliation, anxiety, stress. And so we have to look at how to handle those and then the real feeling, and then we can do something. So I put a whole piece out about that. I'll shift it over and copy it as well, because people yeah, are really struggling. People are stressed and angry. So would, so would you say that like the, the, the change of the hair and the, 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 the crazy things people do when they, to take control, is that a form of anxiety or a form of, well, how's the brain working with, with that, do you think? So any, hopefully, anyone who, like the word expert is a really interesting thing, isn't it? Or the words psychologist, psychotherapist, therapist, social worker, whatever. Whatever sort of people you come up across in this scenario. Hopefully what most of us will say if we're okay at what we do is we'll never say everybody all the time and always. What we've all got to understand that some of the stuff we say is relevant to some people some of the time. It is never an absolute. So for a lot of people, some of the time, or for some people, some of the time, for a lot of people, a lot of the time, what we're looking for in this scenario is because we feel so out of control is something we can control. And we can control something like that. Is it always the response to anxiety? No, not necessarily. It won't be for some people. It'll just be, I want to do something different. But the amount of people, if you look at what's happening on TikTok, Snapchat, how many people do you see who have buzzed their hair, who have... Because also, you can't go to the hairdressers at the moment. So a lot of people, especially with very short hair, it's creating a change that they can't control, which they don't like. And a lot of people don't know how to cut hair or don't have partners who can cut hair or friends that they're living with. They can't go and see them. So yeah, they'll do something different and think, sod it, buzz the whole lot off. Um, a lot of cis-born men are doing that, buzzing the whole lot off. Um, a lot of people are dyeing their hair, making alternatives. If you look at the amount of TikToks and Snapchats that are about that at the moment, it's everywhere. So if it's not a form of anxiety, what is anxiety? Okay, so that's an interesting point. So what I've done is I've also brought up some pages um, on my laptop now, so I'm telling you so sometimes. So anxiety is one of my favourite subjects. How, however, I tend to wax on lyrical about it and I say, you've got to do this and you've got to do that. So I'm also going to refer you to a few pages that you can look at as well. So all the way. So one, first of all, that you can look at is mentalhealth-uk.org. That's one. And it talks to you about mental health conditions. So that's one that you can do. So mentalhealth-uk.org. They talk about what anxiety is and it's very similar to me. And there's a difference between panic attack and panic attacks and anxiety so I'll go into that too anxiety is a strange one so we have a natural fear system in our bodies that loops up and says hey you should be frightened of that um, that you should worry about this um, and that sets off a whole set of chemical responses in us um, that help us fight whatever is about to happen the problem is is sometimes we don't understand that fear isn't necessary for certain situations um, and 
when we feel fear for something that is irrational or not relevant at that moment, but it's an emotional response, our brains will trigger that same feeling of fear. So anxiety is a, is a persistent or constant feeling of, of worry, nervousness, some kind of fear that people go on. And sometimes it can be in a stressful event. So for example, that could be around COVID or it could be around a cheer comp. People that, oh, that's a stressful situation. It's a natural human response when we think we're in danger. And because you've got these two systems and you've, well, one system, you've got the parasympathetic and the sympathetic nervous system. Your parasympathetic nervous system is the one that says, shh, and it's quite calming and okay. And your sympathetic nervous system goes, oh my God, we're in real trouble. Ah! And we're meerkatting. And when we spoke last week about, um, mental blocks often the sympathetic nervous system looks for something it can control in a moment and sometimes that might be the skill you're about to do or something so it flares up and it has an interesting chemical response so anxiety is overused as a word if you're diagnosed with anxiety that's very different to feeling anxious that's one of the things i always say to people so especially around cheer you're feeling nervous you're worried, you're scared, you care about the outcome, it's an investment, which is very different to having anxiety. Okay. One is a pathology, one is not. So people go, oh my God, I'm anxious. Are, are you? Is it persistent feeling? Is it, does it stay with you all the time? Um, and, and it only becomes a problem when it does last for a long time or when you, what you're feeling is out of proportion to where you are. If you if you have a health anxiety into like COVID, you might never go out your house at the moment because your health anxiety is through the roof and you'll be washing and cleaning everything because you're so stressfully worried that you're going to catch it or you can't control what you're feeling or you get lots of panic attacks or it's impacting your life the way you want it I was, to. I was going so to ask that. That's can, a typical sort of... I was going to ask that. Can anxiety lead to panic attacks? Can it, yes, can it, it can. cause that? Um, it can. There is a slight difference, however. Anxiety is a persistent feeling of not being okay. Um, a panic attack is a response to something. It's a response to a situation or something that's happened. So there's a slight difference between the two, if that makes sense. Yeah. So when we have a panic attack, I mean, lots of health professionals use those interchangeably and so do human beings, but we shouldn't really. There are some things that are slightly different. So a panic attack often occurs in a, so it can be triggered or it can't be. People argue with whether it's got a trigger. So a trigger means something that makes you feel a certain way. By the way, nothing can make you feel a certain way. It's your own body assuming that that's a danger. Therefore you do it yeah. and you have a different thing. So a panic attack is a defined medical condition. It's, it's in the DSM-5, which is what people who enter psychology used to say whether someone's got something or not that we can actually pathologize anxiety can be um in the dsm-5 as well it is but an anxiety attack isn't so anxiety is a persistent feeling of not being okay as i said so anxiety is more of a constant pressure as it goes a bit of panic or anxiety or nerves are okay they're quite normal especially if you're about to go on into a competition I, I think having an anxious response to covid is really normal and okay we might be worried about ourselves somebody's about to die everything else as well i mean panic attacks in and of themselves if you look at them they are way worse in a moment they're much more intense and disruptive to your physicality and your okayness than anxiety is in a moment um you can detach, you've got a sense of not quite being here or present, and they vary from quite mild to quite severe in a way. Um, and they can happen suddenly. They never happen without some kind of notice. If you are very connected to your body, you're physiologically aware. So the thing about anxiety is you get stuck in a loop. So instead of being right here, right now, you and I are just talking, there is nothing to be anxious about. But what I could do is, is if you think of infinity in cheer, think of the infinity symbol, yeah. think of the shoes. Yeah, yeah. Um, what happens is rather than staying here, you go back and pick up old information, feed it into the future. And this bloody loop, what comes with us all the time, it just keeps going wherever we are. So it acts as a block to being present. So anxiety is, oh gosh, do you remember when that happened? Or that happened last time? Or that could happen? And we just get stuck in this loop rather than just stopping right here, right now. You are sitting where you're sitting. I'm sitting where I'm sitting. 
I know, but the world might flood. We can use logic and different things. So panic attacks have very specific symptoms. However, they, they are a lot worse. So what you've got with a panic attack is you can have um, all over sweating. You can feel sick. Um, you've got complete fear, lightheadedness, dizziness, really dry mouth, chest pain, heart palpitations, head pain, a flush all over, like a real flush of heat or sweating. It can be cold sweat as well. You're like, oh, Oh, can't do with it. People can get stomach aches really badly, as I said, nausea, trembling. So is, that, can tremble. so is that Deb? Is that the brain psyching itself out that much that the body's just like, like, like fight or flight? It's like, oh, but I want to, I want to, I can't deal with all this. Like your brain is giving that much negative feedback to a situation that your body's doing everything that it does when it has to panic as such. Yeah, it's your brain. So what, what happens is you, you've got, it's, it's fight, flight, freeze, friend, flop. There's many Fs that go with that one and they're all being researched at the moment as to what happens. Um, we also we always say fight or flight. We rarely say freeze. Some people argue that um, flight is a form of freeze or freeze is a form of flight. I disagree with that slightly because some people really do freeze. People, when they're attacked, do nothing at all. If you think about frogs, if you think about hedgehogs, just roll into a ball. They just stay very still, don't they? They withdraw from anything. So what we've got to look at is, is you have very important parts of your brain. You have a very old system from your brainstem, the periaqueductal gray. And, and that's, I'm using some fancy words now. You can look them all up. So um, you've got your hypothalamus, you've got your periaqueductal gray, you, you've got a very important part of your brain here. Some people call it the limbic system. Some people call it the lizard brain, the reptilian brain, the old brain. Yeah. This is a bit of a sod. So this is in most animals and other beings that we see. It's quite smooth. And if you think about pictures of the brain that you see, that it's normally different to that. It's quite folded and, and quite textured. And, and the, the brain that we have grown as, as adults and as human beings is around this part of the brain and there's more at the front. So when you stimulate a fear system in, in this for a panic disorder, which is exactly what we're saying here is it just stimulates the fear system, which is this bit here. Normally you have something here called your ventromedial prefrontal cortex and you have your neocortex and you have these bits of the brain that can calm you, take over and sort you out. So they're moderated. Your higher brain functions work around this and say, shh, it's okay. And um, when you're in a full-blown panic attack, the, the activity in this part of the brain just doesn't really happen. It's a little bit like watching a water bomb go off. So if, if you think logic just disappears through the floor, it just comes down and all the emotions are heightened. And you, if you look at an fMRI scan of a brain that's panicky, there are certain parts of the brain that go off like the 4th of July, they're red orange, yellow, and other parts of the brain that could help us, like your prefrontal cortex and other places, are blue and green and maybe a little bit of yellow. Um, because your brain's just going off. And this bit, this bit, when it takes over, boy, does it take over. That's it. Um, and you've got around this at the front, you've got one part called the amygdala. And the amygdala mediates fear. They're a bit like your guard dogs, like calling killer and slasher, like, oh, it's really bad. Um, and it normally supports some form of, of emotional processing, learning, but it's very involved in panic because it doesn't have a lot to do with anxiety. It has an awful lot to do with panic. And we just perceive something as bad and as dangerous. It's really bad for me. I can't go on. I'm going to lose my life. So this part of the brain starts to absolutely go off. Um, also, the insula is really important, which is another small part of our brain so that, that flares up as well. So you're watching everything go into a very high state of emotional response instead of logical response. That's what's happening in your brain. You're breathing. And, and then there's a, a double whammy with this one as well. So you're breathing, which is very important. I mean, look at COVID at the moment. I shared something the other day, which was showing some breathing techniques to help. Yeah, the doctor. Yeah. Yeah, I love I love, I love that that video has come about because in the fitness industry and in the mental well-being industry, it, it's breathing has been coming in so much. Um, me and Dan were talking about it a few weeks back. Um, and there's a dude called Wim Hof. I don't know if you ever heard of him, the ice dude. Um, he's massive on like, the cold treatment, but most of it is based around breathing. 
And I do kind of get it, like we don't breathe enough. <laughs> if women do one of the most painful things in their life, which is give birth, what they're taught to do through one of the most painful things is breathe. Most people I work with who come and see me as clients, so I have opera singers, I have all sorts of people. You would think that even they would be able to breathe. And one of my degrees many years ago was performance arts degree. And I was taught to breathe. However, most of you do not breathe properly. And I say you because I know I do. And that's really, isn't it? But it's true. Most people do not breathe properly. We think we do. But even when I'm working maybe with cheerleaders or with people with anxiety, I teach them to breathe. But I do that physically. I do it by poking, touching, pressing, um, putting my hands around ribs, showing them on me what that looks like. And I'd always be happy to do that, you know, any competition I'm at, come and, come and ask me how to breathe. I know you can breathe, but most of us breathe like this. It's a shallow form of breathing. We need to learn to breathe like this, which is very different. This is what we do. This is what we need to learn, which is all about losing, using the diaphragm. And people say, I do yoga. I know how to do that. There's my deep breath. It's fine. And you're like, actually, no, you're not. Because if I poke you in the right place, which is if, if you look at where your nipples come across and you, you take all of your fingers and run all the way down, bless you, there's a very soft bit where the ribs are underneath. And if you poke it really hard, it hurts. It feels painful to poke. It's like a bruise. And if you cough, <coughs> it pops. When you breathe in, what most of us do is breathe in and it goes in. Well, we, that, it acts like a parachute type breathing system. That's what it looks like. So actually when you want to breathe in, what you want it to do is to expand and go out. And if you put your hands on, on your ribs and you breathe in, if your fingers stay like they are here, what you want them to do is actually separate when you breathe yeah, in. So and, say, and they can't see it. What Deb's doing is she's asking for her fingers to come apart to create the ribs coming apart. Is that correct? Yeah, it is. So just like underneath your boobs, when you put your hands together and you put it together, if you breathe in using the diaphragm, now don't get me wrong, you can push out and make a food baby look like you're three months pregnant. We can all do that. You can push it out and you can make your ribs expand. That ain't what I'm talking about. So it's our capacity to put our hands underneath where sort of like the breasts are, make our fingers close together. And as you breathe in, really what should happen is your fingers could separate slightly. It's quite hard to do. And you want them flat. So like for you, you're putting them quite, you want them absolutely flat. So if you breathe in, take a massive breath in, what should happen is, can you see your, yours are hardly separating because you're breathing up the top. So like next time we ever meet, I'm going to poke you and teach you to do this really easily. It takes a few seconds of time. Clearly I ask for consent for touching and everything else as well, but it's actually quite hard to do. And there's many a yoga teacher, many an expert who all think they can do it and actually they don't and they cannot. Now there's two things about breathing. When we hyperventilate because we're panicking, you don't realize we are, but you're breathing in more than you're breathing out. When you feel anxious or worried about something, that makes your mouth very dry and everything else as well. And there was a German doctor in the 1900s who turned around and said, oh gosh, if you hyperventilate and you create an oxygen instability and you've got too much carbon dioxide in your system, that also gives you the symptoms of a panic attack. So you get a double whammy, especially if you're not on top of your breathing. So you've really got to watch that one as well. So it's about calming that water bomb principle down. This isn't neuroscientifically correct, but if you imagine, this isn't correct because it's not the way the brain works, but it's a good visualization. If you imagine that the left-hand side of the brain is more logical and the right-hand side of the brain is more emotional, again, not synapses and neurons fire in very different ways and parts of the brain really come into this, but for a visualization exercise, what you're trying to do is bring one side down, the right-hand side down from bright red into maybe a more yellowish content. And you're trying to bring the left-hand side, the more logical side up, especially if you engage the insula, and I'll show you some exercises that do that in a minute as well. You're trying to bring it up so that there's more of an equilibrium between the two in the moment. Now, there's a double aspect to that. The more you focus and concentrate on that, the more you're using your prefrontal and neonate your um sorry can't talk properly today all the right parts of the brain to to engage because you're thinking that's one thing if you're thinking about how you're breathing you're less emotional you're thinking again so if we teach you how to breathe as professionals 
you're thinking about that. So you're processing in a different part of your brain, which also brings the anxiety down at the same time. So the breathing works. It doesn't work by itself. We, we need more than that. Um, so I've added a few extra things to some of the so breathing exercises that people teach. So does anxiety as well as panic attacks affect, do they both affect breathing? Can they yeah, both? They do. Because if you're really worried about something and you're fearful, think about how much more you do. So like you, you twitch your foot a lot more, don't you? If you think about it, or you're like, you're twitch a lot more. You're a lot more. Okay. Um, right. Okay. Um, how do I, what do I How your mouth's a lot drier. You talk quicker. You, um, right. Uh, and your breathing changes when someone is calm. They've got space. Now I'm talking a little quickly today because I'm trying to get an awful lot into 40 minutes. Nice. So it's slightly different. Um, but normally, Hey, no, it's not necessary. You can take time. It's calmer. It's different. It changes your breathing. Do you think that's why, yeah, do you think that's why, like I said, yoga and that type of things, even if they're not doing things correctly, as you, as you stated, that why they're coming into the fitness industry and why they're coming into general population now is because they work and they control the brain because then the brain has to control the breathing. So you're getting mental stimulation as well as actually breathing properly. And then you also get that time to yourself as such. So then anxiety, depression, all that doesn't disappear, but can lower because you're actually focusing so much on the breathing. The answer is yes and no. So because anxiety and, and, really bad anxiety like generalized anxiety disorder or a very high level of anxiety or very severe panic attacks so they can be caused by quite a few things it can be biological um in that a lot of us have genetics and epigenetics and experiential things that happen to our parents and grandparents and great grandparents, and that comes down epigenetics comes down and teaches and restructures dna and teaches the next set of people to to do something slightly differently or to be worried about something so they they abused some mice um quite a while ago put them in a state of panic and exposed them to smell of cherry blossom at the same time and when they did that they then let the mice breed. So eventually the mice would also panic just if they smelt cherry blossom because they knew that pain was coming. What was fascinating in this particular exercise, it's a little bit like Pavlov's dogs, which you can look up, which is all about ringing a bell and giving them food. They would salivate just at the ring of a bell. But that experiment wasn't then carried on. This one was. Whether you are agree with animal rights or testing, I'm just sharing evidence here, scientific evidence. So if you look up cherry blossom mice epigenetics, you'll, you'll find this, it's on a BBC website and other ones as well. So what happens is, or what happened in this particular experiment was the next six generations of mice had the same response to the smell of cherry blossom. They panicked when they smelt it. So what does that mean for adults? Really difficult to say. However, if you look up a woman called Rachel Yehuda, who did some fascinating work with Holocaust survivors, she found that their cortisol levels, eventually she found that cortisol levels were really off. They weren't right. And she thought, why is this? And, you know, why do these people um, carry extra food in their bags? Why are they frightened of people in uniforms? Why are they in a state of anxiety and stress all the time? Because some of them were survivors, but some of them were the generations after of survivors. She thought, I wonder why, maybe at a mitzvah or something or at a party, they talk about, do you remember when the twins were sewn together or people were killed or do you remember? And that panics and, and makes children anxious. And she thought, but it can't be that simple. And she was fascinated by it and she would look at them. I think it goes without saying that someone who had survived the Holocaust would be frightened of someone in a uniform, wouldn't want to get on a train and would probably have some food in their bag. Like, I think that's quite natural, normal responses, but is it natural for their children? Is it a learnt, copied response? So then she started doing some more medical work with them and she took bloods and took some samples and she found their cortisol levels were really low. They were below average. What does that mean to you and me? When somebody's in a high state of anxiety or shock, the cortisol levels increase and they soothe your system. They're like, shh, it's okay, we've got this. If you are constantly in a high set of response, fight, flight, freeze, cortisol can't keep being made. It will eventually damage your system and it can't be introduced artificially. Look, as someone who's into sports, me having been into sports as well in the past, I have cortisone injections into my 
hips, I can't have more than two or three of those a year because eventually they will damage me so much because my body can't have that introduced into it because it will stop making it itself and I'll die. That's what will happen to your eye. And she worked with a, a geneticist from Edinburgh University and they were looking at something called epigenetics. And what they found was, is a lot of these kids who were born from Holocaust survivors had abnormally low cortisol levels, which means they are highly stressed all the time. So it's actually becoming a physiological response. And she couldn't prove it fully till 9-11. When all the babies were born, she asked people to come forward, all the women who were pregnant, giving birth, all the babies were born with abnormally low cortisol levels, which means their genome, the book that says whether you're going to be okay or not, was born with that bit tipexed out. It said the world is a really scary place. And that's incredible as a piece of research. The babies were all born probably with some form of anxiety, stress, panic, and not being okay as a provision in life. So if you have the genetics like that, to go back to what you were asking, what we've got to watch when we do yoga or peaceful stuff is if you are somebody who has had trauma in your life or predisposition to trauma because of our epigenetics, what we've got to watch is sometimes when we do something very calming, all of our bad stuff comes up. So it's a little bit of both is the answer to that one. So yes, for most people, a lot of the time it's okay. For some people, some of the time it really isn't because their stuff will come up. You know, you know that, that saying of cream rises to the top or so does scum. I think I said it the other week. So that's when we've got to watch it. But like the, the, the breathing side of it will be a positive, right? Yes, always be a positive, mixed with a few other things. So breathing alone doesn't always work. So again, I can go into a few techniques. So breathing, if you try and use a very small part of your brain called the insula as well, and try and work with the prefrontal cortex, if you try and bring logic and senses into it, it makes a difference. So one breathing exercise, for example, a classic is the four seven, which most people know. There are variations on it. Some people say breathe in for four, hold for four, breathe out for seven. Some people say breathe in for four, breathe out for seven. I have my own developed one of those. So for me, when I work with clients, and there are hundreds of these, so you can find loads on the internet, go to anxiety.org, look for different situations and people will help teach you to breathe. My particular one that I'll teach people <coughs> is breathing in for four is really important but what i want you to do is do it very slowly i want you to imagine the numbers one two three four coming towards you as they're coming towards you i want you to think of your favorite smell mine at the moment will definitely be freesias i want you to imagine your favorite color so you see the numbers one two three four they're coming towards you for me at the moment that would be a kind of gray marble with a lovely rose gold vein running through that so as i'm breathing in these numbers which is what i'm going to do i'm going to breathe them in I'm going to count one, two, three, four. I'm going to see gray, rose gold vein. I'm going to smell freezers. As they slowly come towards me, the texture for me is going to be silk. So find your texture that you like. And for me, the temperature is going to be cooling because if I'm anxious or stressed, for me, that's normally hot. And the other thing to look at is where you feel anxiety and stress in your body. So again, we can put up a link later. I'll send it to you. There's a massive piece of research of where we feel certain things in our body. Anger is often felt in our jaw and in our fists and in our feet and in our chest. Anxiety is a little lower in our chest. Shame is in our eyes. This is so it's a big piece of research as to where you feel it. I imagine my anxiety quite high in my stomach, slightly lower in my chest. It feels like a bit of um, metal moving, writhing spaghetti, but it's metal. It's, it's, but it's hot. It's, it's not nice, but it's black. That's the way I see it. That's my visualization. So I breathe in slowly, one, two, three, four. It's a cold silk. The numbers as they disappear, and so you can imagine clouds or candy floss or whatever it is you want to imagine as a texture, as a smell, as a taste. We're trying to engage all of your senses at the same time as you're using logic as counting. So your favorite smell, your favorite taste. My favorite taste will be Sainsbury's Colombian coffee yogurt because I just love those things. So I'm going to... Just the smell of that. Just the smell of that, the taste, oh my God. (laughs) Everything, so you'll do all of these things. And then the silk, for me, comes in. It's not gonna stop you breathing or anything. You're working with that. The idea is it becomes, it dissipates into a mist. I see it wrapping itself around that 
anxiety. So you decide what your anxiety looks like or your panic very calmly. So even if you're thinking about all of this, that's a good thing. The fact that you're then using all of your senses and using taste and smell, you can even, you can even sort of touch it as it flows in. So you're using all of your senses and you can hear something. For me, it's the sea. It's calming. It's like a set of waves that are gently rocking up against the shore. So again, you're putting all different senses into this. It wraps around and it picks up some of that metal. And as I breathe it out, I need to breathe out for seven, preferably diaphragmatically, as I said, Whenever you see me, give me two minutes of your time, I'll poke you and I'll teach you how to breathe. So as you breathe out with a seven, you do the opposite. It's a smell you don't like. It's a taste you don't like. It's a texture you don't like. It's a color you don't like. It's a sound you're not too keen on. And you watch the seven disappear, taking some of it with you. And then you then repeat that. So that's one technique. Another technique that's not so much to do with anxiety. Anxiety, panic attacks, anger, you name it. Would you, for anxiety, would you use it daily? I would, uh, this is that's a really good question. I'm glad you asked it because um, what you want to do is practice these things all the flipping time. So when you need it, you really know how to do it. So for me, these, I'm showing you my phone at the moment are a classic. Every time I pick up my phone, if I'm teaching someone to do this as a new person, every time you pick up your phone, have a practice. Every time you walk through a door frame, have a practice. Every time you go for a wee, do it on the loo. Sit down for a change, blokes, women, sit down, practice it for a few seconds. Fine, leave it. So when you need it, you want your body to recall it. So again, a little bit like um, practicing mental blocks and different things. It's no good doing these things in a form or a state of panic. So we're all in a state of stress of some kind at the moment. Most people are feeling some form of stress, which means kids can't learn properly, our capacity to manage changes because our sympathetic nervous system is more heightened. Doing this every day will help you calm, be present. It's its own form of mindfulness and meditation, if you think about it. And it helps us deal and cope with day-to-day stuff because it just makes sure our parasympathetic nervous system can say, oh, good, I've got this. So cortisol isn't going nuts. All those other things aren't going nuts. The parasympathetic nervous system is allowed to do what it does best and calm us down because we're giving it space to do so. So it's a great little exercise. It's, it's a little bit more than breathing. It brings in the mind, it brings in mindfulness, it brings in meditation, it brings in logic, and it brings in the senses. It brings all of that into play. So honestly, I've made jokes to people in cheer. If you've got someone in cheer who's having a full-blown panic attack, and this is really arrogant, I get it's egotistical, I've been to a few places where I remember one girl particularly running out, someone was practicing a routine. I'm not going to say who the group was, that's irrelevant. Um, but I traveled quite far to see them. She ran out and I went, oh gosh, she's going to be out for 20 minutes now. And I said, why? And I went, she's having a panic attack. And I went, would you want to back in? I'm like, yeah. And one of the coaches was out with her and I said, can I intervene? Do I have your permission? Do I have your consent? She was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the coach was, yeah, sure, two minutes two minutes with this sort of thing to focus their back in doesn't take longer than that i've only ever done that with somebody um i did that square breathing yeah just because i didn't obviously i'm not as qualified as you just like every kid in the room panicked and they obviously they looked to the coach to sort it um and i just did the whole breathe around the roof breathe around the wall breathe around the floor breathe around look at me look at me don't look at anyone else, look at me, breathe with me. I was there, held her hands and was breathing with her. And it wasn't as quick yeah, as so that. You've done a lot of that already in that exercise because you're talking about touch, you're close, it's eye contact, tell me your name. You know, I do a lot of that. So if I'm with someone, what's her name? Oh, hi, whatever the name is, you know, it, it doesn't matter. So hi, Sam, Sam, look at me. I really want to focus. We're going to do this. You know, I find parties with kids around, especially in my last house, I had a great big pool and all sorts. And loads of kids would come to these parties and I remember one girl locking herself in my bathroom and me near enough kicking the door down to get in to get her out of the panic attack I mean I'm sure kicking the door in probably didn't help her in some respects but she was in a right state she was pulling everything she was crashing I was like I'm interfering that's it there's a point so breathing techniques can help and make a difference but if you add all those other things in they make more of an impact and quicker and do you feel that with anxiety practicing it daily is is going to make a good effect, but can that then stop panic attacks or no. panic, they can still occur? 
they can still occur because you need to be able to handle when they are. So again, no is not an absolute. Yes, they can some of the time and no, they can't some of the other time. And that's the bitch about this. And it's the same, like you're in a heightened state at the moment with COVID. You know, we need to switch off the news. We need to practice what we're doing. We need to think about what we do. We can't listen to our minds. It, our minds are telling us a story, not a reality. One of my favorite things is, can you prove it? And somebody will say, yes. No, 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 that's your subjective opinion. Objectively, can you prove it? No, say people in, not in quite a resentful way. So let's work with what the story that your mind is telling you, it isn't a reality. I'm going to get ill, I'm going to do this, this is going to be bad, that's the same with COVID at the moment. People are going to die, this is going to happen, I don't have any control. Well, we have to look at what we can control, what we can do. And don't ignore those physical symptoms when they're coming up, because a lot of us aren't in touch with our bodies particularly well, we don't do it. Um, and who have a really good tip, tips on how to handle anxiety, and so does um, NHS. Like they're giving you plenty of tips around COVID and around everything else as well. So, but if you can't prove that it's a case, this can definitely help with panic attacks, and it can help with generalised anxiety. But what you've got to work out is why that infinity loop is there in the first place. That's when therapy comes into it, and and it's looking for the underneath. It's the iceberg again. Anxiety in this case is the top of an iceberg. It feels like, yeah, but I'm really worried about that. Are you? Because often it's about something else entirely. And it's about our daily stresses and how we feel. So like a performance anxiety or performance stress can mean many things. Um, Superman pose can help. I remember teaching this to a certain person quite a few years ago, like, stand like superman for a couple of minutes for example if you do it every day twice a day for two minutes it will increase your testosterone levels which give you more confidence for example i think it's up to about six percent there's an increase in testosterone levels so that superman pose is based on science that again you can look at a ted talk on this look it up read the science this isn't just me so that's superman when you're you've got your hands clenched into fists and then by the side and you've got your legs slightly apart and your chin's up in the air twice a day two minutes it improved people's chances of getting a job it's fascinating ted talk makes a real difference so we can do things around confidence and different things in many ways but panic attacks and anxiety are slightly different a panic attack is immediate it's a trigger and for some kids it might be going into a competition a lot of kids will vomit before or afterwards um, as quite an extreme response some will because of the physicality of it some it will be panic and some form of anxiety anxiety daily can be helped but a lot of that is done by you can do talking therapies you can do cbt but you need some kind of exposure therapy for that so that's why i love being at competitions when i can help in some way shape or form if someone's having a real immediate need of course i'll go and help and you can talk them out of it and, and you can get some amazing things done it's bringing them back to the moment what you've got to learn to do is trust that you and your body can do this and it can if you know we've lived through way worse we will live through way worse than this you've just got to learn to trust that you can and once you do that which is why older people are, uh, are more experienced about these things it sounds facetious and it gives us lots of lessons it's like oh, when i was young i was fine i used to do this but we've got a, a, a distorted memory of that when we were young we couldn't do it so teaching young people to do it is, is great. We're trying to quicken that process in a way. Let me get how so with just, even if you look like the most chilled out person these days, the life comes with like 85% stress. So anything added to it, like getting ready for a competition or, or something random like this COVID happens, I think we're already on the edge near enough <laughs> to be tipped there, to, to get anxiety, to have a panic. I and I also think if you take into the fact that we are generations away from having a couple of wars of major things, and you look at the epigenetics of that, and countries have gone through quite a lot, then of course we're more likely to in some respects. We also know too much. Your sympathetic nervous system does not need to respond to the fact that in um, China, loads of people died, or on the beach in Tunisia, loads of people got shot. You know too much. Our bodies and our minds needs to know so we are hardwired to look for negativity because it keeps us alive the media that makes sense yeah so but the media isn't we don't need to know all that stuff it's too much which is why we're also saying with anxiety and stuff is focus in not focus out it, we don't need to read everything that's going on at the moment it's all too much so if you try and bring people back into actually do you know what you're living in your house you're safe you're fine you've got food you've got everything that you need or 
it's just a cheer competition. Your life doesn't depend on it. It's not a saber-toothed tiger coming into your village to rip you to shreds. Our brains haven't caught up with that whole system yet. You know, we're not, we're not up to date with the technology from a brain perspective. We're really clever. We're incredible. But our old systems are still there from when we were around. And that includes that old limbic system, that part of the brain. It's still in us. It makes, it can take over at any moment. It has the capacity to do so. So listening to it is very important. Our capacity to get in touch with how we're doing. That's why sometimes, for example, just to do a body scan is a great idea. Like what's going on in your body if you were to sit now? And actually for me, just sit with my legs crossed. Actually, my left knee's a bit sore if I think about it. So move. And actually, my mouth is a bit dry, I could do with a drink. And actually, I could probably do with a pee in a minute before my next client. Like, if we focus in, we don't. So again, every time you pick up your phone, focus in. Another good one, five, four, three, two, one method. Again, I've added to this, so I've added a little bit. Look around the room and name five things you can see. The bit I've added is describe them. So if I look at, in front of me now, there's a large grey chair. It has two silver shiny feet that I can see. It's in a couple of colors of gray. Uh, there's a cushion on the chair. It's purple. Above that is a lamp that is silver and purple. Describe them, but don't describe them emotionally. So you name five things you can see. You name four things you can touch. Touch them. So my top feels very soft and it's warm. My bottle is very cold um, and it's hard and it's plastic. The top of it is warmer than the bottom because it's filled with ice. Now you don't say, oh, I'm really looking forward to drinking that because it's nice and cold. That is emotional. You just describe. Name three things that you can hear. You might have to be patient with that one. So I can hear water running. I just heard someone shut a door and I can hear a tick-tock of a clock. Name two things that you can smell. So for example, clothes, washing, deodorant, hair stuff. There are lots of things around that you can smell. And one thing that you can take. So that's another really good one. So it's another like, so it's on, like zoning in. So that's, yeah. that's more of a quick one. Like you could do like that. Like you're using logic. Like you could do that one at competition. The other one you can do. Whereas the one. So easy. The other one you can do. Whereas one way you got to think about the, the bringing the numbers in and that's more like a daily, take your time. You could spend a good five minutes. I can, do, I can do that one really quickly nowadays though. I can really do that one quickly. So it, you know, you, the more you get used to it, the quicker they go. They can be used very much around coronavirus and everything else as well. So what NHS tells you to do is talk about your worries, talk to people, bear in mind they're not experts either. Everyone's got an expert idea on this one stay connected with people, help and support other people. When you help other people, your anxiety can often decrease. Feel prepared, plan for stuff. I'm a big fan of pre-morteming. You can look that up, that's a TED talk as well. There's an astronaut who does it. That's what NASA teach astronauts to do, to pre-mortem, to plan, understand where it is, have stuff around. Look after your body, eat well, drink well, sleep well. All of these things help with anxiety, reduce stress, reduce smoking, stop, please, if you can. It doesn't help anxiety, fizzy drinks, um, high levels of stimulant in any of those caffeine-based products really make anxiety worse. So you have to watch what you eat and what you drink. Um, so well-balanced meals, a little bit of exercise, all of that helps. Stick to the facts. Say to somebody, my favorite word is provenance. Can you prove to me where that came from? And if your answer is the Sun newspaper, you and I probably are not going to agree that that's good provenance. <laughs> yeah, definitely. The media. Oh, I can't. I can't show me who so the world health organization website show it to me maybe on the bbc show it to me on the nhs or from a very valid scientist then you and i can have a conversation because often if you say to people where did you hear that well so-and-so said since when is so-and-so a flipping expert or an epidemiologist or somebody who knows a lot about anxiety and you, you can get very fooled like we can believe that sometimes you know, like we think a psychiatrist should know a lot of these things. Do you know they don't, some of them? They know an awful lot about drugs to stop you from feeling these things. Sometimes we think, oh, an NHS worker or a social worker would know these things. No, they don't because they don't deal with these things every day. They don't have to deal with them. So just because someone's got a title, its title's got to be relevant to what it is. Yeah. So provenance, prove where it came from. So just do those things. Get in touch with your feelings, stay on top of them, draw a circle of what you can control and what you can't control, work on what you can control. It's normal to feel the way that you feel. Do something different, do something you enjoy and take the pressure off at this moment with all this anxiety and stuff that's going around coronavirus. A lot of people saying, learn a language, do something brilliant. 
there's one piece of advice. Then the next person is saying, do loads of self-care. And the other person is saying, do sod all. They're all right at different times. Yeah. No one is perfectly right. Sometimes you've got to lie in, sometimes you've got to have a pack of chocolate buttons and sometimes you need to do some exercise. You've just got to find out when those times are right for you. But you have got to get up. You have got to have a shower. Make your bed. Like, do little things. There's, like, many a Navy SEAL type thing. You know, there's loads of videos that go around about this. Start with making your bed. Do one oh, little thing. I watched that exact video. And the missus used to hate that I never made my bed. Now she loves it that I watched the video because I'm, like, I, I give myself a little pat on the back um, for making my bed now. People who haven't seen this video, it's basically um, a Navy SEAL that says, start your day by... Um, making your bed so you the first task you set yourself you succeed so then you get that little bit of oh yeah good, good you job. get positive endorphins and different chemicals that come in and then don't set yourself the whole job of like tidying your whole kitchen just do the washing up start there small jobs practice achievements don't practice failure which is links to what we were saying last week as well yeah awesome another great at near enough hour deb of Sorry, I do prattle on. Valuable, valuable information. Um, I think what people will take from this is that they, that they they are in control, and hopefully, with these every podcast we do, it has a lot of it all links together. Even though we're talking about so many different things, a lot of it links together. So, if anyone is feeling anxious or a little bit worried in this time, then you can take control of it. Um, if not, Deb has offered her services, so head over to Your Mind Matters and she, whatever free time she has, because she doesn't have much free time, um, she will definitely help you guys out. If not, hit me up and I will ask the questions. Oh, that's all right. Good. Thanks for coming on, Deb. And I'll see you again <laughs> next Thursday. People have learned from this. They've learned how to dye their hair, how to color their hair, how to start to fix anxiety. Quick breathing tips on panic attacks and what else have they learned? Oh, how to squeeze their ass. <laughs> and what happens in the brain when... Yes. Yeah. And that's the point. It's supposed to be a bit funny. Thanks, right. See you later. Take we'll care. Next Thursday. Love Bye. Bye-bye.